Welcome back to Evil Leap, the podcast that explores what it will take to achieve a new social, political, economic structure, one which brings human nature and mother nature into balance. Each episode features some combination of hosts Daniel Pinchbeck, Daniela Plattner, and myself, Skylar Brown, as we talk with inspiring people at the forefront of this transition. Episode 3 was recorded this summer when Daniel and I sat down with Wendell Jones, a yogi, mystic, and healer in New York City. Wendell's story reminds us that pursuing a spiritual life is always an adventure and serves as a reminder that the inner journey must be an essential part of systemic and social change. We hope you enjoy. Hey there, we're here for Evo Leap. This is Daniel Pinchbeck, and I'm here with Skylar Brown and Wendell Jones. Uh, Wendell and I have a uh, synchronized uh, tendency to meet up in strange places and talk about esoteric things. And I think that Wendell has extraordinary knowledge and information, and I thought this would be an amazing opportunity for him to share some of it with a larger audience. So, Wendell, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how you got to be Wendell Jones? Well, I grew up in Detroit uh, during the time of when it was like, it was very prosperous in Detroit economically. My grandmother was the foreman for General Motors. My mother was a hairstylist. My father was a barber and a water welder. And it grew up in kind of an urban, suburban cusp, right? So I had access to like the hood and I had access to like the suburbs. And I was always kind of in between them. I was a bookworm, but everybody in my family were like working people. So they didn't get it. And they were always very much like, okay, you need to figure out how to make some money. And um, it was one person in my family, uh, my godfather, who had went to Egypt and lived uh, for three years in Egypt. And while he was in Egypt, he said he had a past life regression, which is why he stayed there. So when he came back, I was five years old. He brought back like 10,000 books. And I would go to his apartment and I would be like, is he crazy? Like, what is this? Like, what's going on? This is like 1975. He's talking about vegetarian, astrology, homeopath. This is Detroit in 1975. So, Skip, years and years later, uh, when I was 28 years old, I was in a very compromising situation where my life had, like, basically the bottom, it fell out. And I was feeling very uh, depressed and, like, I was a failure. And so um, I started reading the book of Job, and uh, I related to the story. Uh, and I, I felt like this energy or this breath kind of came over me while I was reading it. And so the next day was the premiere of Madonna's video, Ray of Light. And I was sitting there, and I'm listening to her song, and I'm thinking about the experience yes, the previous day, and I popped out of my body, and I couldn't figure out what I would, like, what... There was no spatial relationship. There was no differentiation between, like, my body, your body, her body, that wall. I didn't have a physical, like, identity. After three minutes of that, I started to panic because I didn't think I could get back in my body. I figured out how to get back into the body... And I pretty much after that was totally despondent. It took an effort to do everything. So I thought I was going to become a minister. So I started reading the Bible, doing Bible study. But the questions that would come to my mind, <laughs> they, people didn't have answers for. So Can I, can I interrupt for a yeah. second? 
Um, I have a question. So when you had that experience, that out-of-body experience, mm-hmm. was there some sense? Like, did you try to make sense of it? Did well, you... at the time, there was nothing to make sense of. Like, when they always explain in the... And like the Vedanta and like mm-hmm. the esoteric, they always they always talking about this feeling of nothingness that's mm-hmm. full. So it's like there's nothing there, but it's totally full. So you don't you don't want anything, you don't mm-hmm. need any. It, everything is just good, right? But then you also realize that you're totally removed from your body. So coming back in, my mind was still like having that trying to figure out what this experience was but my body was like okay you're here so there was a total despondency in relation to like sensory perception I couldn't like figure out what was the point of doing anything so eventually I found this national geographic map of the universe and I would stare at it every day and I would just look at it and be like what is going on then one day I said what the hell is going on like I need to know what this is so insignificant like the earth is so insignificant compared to like this so what, what is what is it what's going on <laughs> well 15 years later <laughs> after uh, I always like to cut to the chase yeah yeah we, we, we can take do. we can take the journey if you yeah, want yeah Uh, 15 years later many experiences later I end up more recently I uh, went to school and I studied higher states of consciousness the Vedas Ayurveda and I lived with a Brahmin Mm. from the Himalaya mountains uh, in the Himalayas or where? no he was here Indian dude or like American? no he's Indian what's his name? Uh, his name is Swamiji that's what we call him but his 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 Brahmin name he's a uh, sannyasi uh, Sri Saraswati Brahmananda. He just mm. spoke at the UN on the World International Yoga Day. Wow. Yep. And I uh, I was the first person that he taught like yoga to. And so I spent a year with him training four o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock every day in like that traditional form of yoga. And then at the same time I was studying the Veda. So that was like Sanskrit for two hours. Oh, were you like trying to get enlightened or something? Uh, pretty much, <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> right? So, and then what? And then, and then what, Wendell? <laughs> well, in all of that meditation, you start to you start to really realize that there is like this subtle world that's that's this kind of like parallel over our conscious world, right? And after a while in my meditation, I would start to be able to connect, like, what I'm seeing in the subtle world to what's happening in the relative world, Hmm. right? And then astrology really became the bridge, the symbolic bridge that allowed me to, like, understand, like, in an abstract way and then then see it happen in a in a very kind of like uh, relative way. So how do you, what, what is astrology for you? I mean, what do you think it is? I mean, why would the stars <laughs> be mapping our like personal well, you know, because patterns? Well, time, it's not so much, see, it's a perceptional shift that you need to have. It's not so much that astrology or planets are influencing you, in my viewpoint. It's more has to do with just cycles and time. And uh, if you notice how much cycles influence our day, we, the 24-hour cycle, the week cycle, we want to get paid on Friday, the month cycle, we have to pay, the year cycle, holidays, all of these things that our culture is organized around cycles. And uh, 
astrology is like a very interpretive language that allows you to get clarity and direction from being able to interpret those cycles. Now, there are predict. I'm not a predictive astrologer per se. Predictions tend to happen when I'm doing consultations, even though that's not my focus. My focus tends to be to help people find their um, their dharma, you would say, and using astrology to kind of stay on focus and understand like what the pitfalls might be, what the uh, opportunities might be, and the likes. And then there's astrology in a more esoteric sense that's really about really understanding how you're projecting energy. So you studied the, the Vedas, mm-hmm. you were working with this, and, and you got into um, Rudolf Steiner's oh, yeah. work and meditations and so on. Yeah, yeah, well, Steiner work I got into way early. I was working at an esoteric bookstore, and the guy was obsessed with Steiner. Mm-hmm. So I read... Well, what did Steiner... I mean, obviously, the Vedas are a whole lifetime's work for most people. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what did Steiner's work offer you that, that you know, seemed useful, you know, in comparison to that much more ancient tradition? Oh, wow, yes. Okay, well, <laughs> Steiner's whole thing was that you had to know science that you had to be able to approach the spiritual world from an intellect that was developed to be able to see in a scientific way. So what that did is... Well, but it's a slightly different type of science. He talked about developing a spiritual science. The super sensible sensible consciousness, which in uh, the Vedas would just be called cosmic consciousness or transcendental consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so Steiner's approach is very method orientated and I, and he's very practical ultimately because he ends up with biodynamics he ends I mean, up he, with, he, yeah i mean he's also an interesting combination of like kind of i mean in a, in a hermetic, philosophy and, yeah, and anthroposophy hermetics, and, Rosicrucian, right yeah. and, and in a way he he believes in uh, christianity he's an esoteric yeah, christian that was his thing that he incorporated christianity into what was more of a vedic esoteric type of thing. Yeah, so for yeah. him, Christianity is part of our evolutionary exactly. progression. And in fact, I'm at the moment, uh, I just finished reading the Pope's encyclical, Care for Our Common Home. Mm-hmm. And it's such an incredible document. It's mm-hmm. almost like a, a, a resurrection, in a sense, or a regeneration of the whole Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, but that it, really helped me with Steiner, that part of Steiner, because that's where I come from. Like, mm-hmm. I was in church every weekend. So mm-hmm. that really brung me into, like, a full circle. Because I started off like, oh, the Christians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But well, then, how, how do you see, like, now, like, the Christ impulse? And... Well, the Christos, the Gnosis, mm-hmm. like, the process of Gnosis, the process of awakening to that transpersonal, transpersonal reality, and pretty much, like, all stories, mythological or biblical, they all kind of give you a symbolic rep- uh, representation of what the path looks like. Mm-hmm so to speak. Obviously, you're a black man. Mm. Most, most, you know, fewer, fewer black people are involved in this level of esoteric spirituality. Um, mm. How does that, <laughs> how does that feel for you? Like, what, what, you know, do you <sighs> feel like... Um, it's complicated because yeah. it... Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because I um 
I went through a period where I was, it was a lot of estrangement, like, you know, because I went through a period where I was very much into Afrocentric thought. Yeah. Uh, Marcus Garvey, Shakiana Diop, I was very much into that, Afro, at the Afrocentric movement. Up until I got to the point where I found a book called The African Unconscious that explained Africa and the African movement in relation to Kundalini Yoga. So that was mm-hmm. like my whole transition. It was a bridge for you? Yeah, it was like a bridge. So I see this uh, race identity. Uh, it, it's a limited type of identity. Yeah. It's a limited type of identity. Whether you have a superiority complex because you're Caucasian or you have an inferiority complex because you're a minority, it's still... Uh, derives from the lack of having a true sense of identity. It's a compensation in some type of way for mm-hmm. something that's missing. And so I see this play out like all the time in the whole in the race game. Like you're projecting one person is projecting power onto the other person. Mm-hmm. Other person is projecting inferiority onto the another person. And it all has to do with there's something intrinsic in there that hasn't been identified. Mm-hmm. Like uh identity not so much predicated off your uh, physicality, but more predicated off your level of awareness. And uh, once you transcend and you have a transcending experience, you do those identities, uh, the grips, you start to lose them. And people are, are maybe a little uh, apprehensive about that because they tend to think it might make you docile or like complacent, <laughs> but it really doesn't. It makes you a lot more creative, a lot more focused, a lot more genuine in your expression. So... Let's go back a little bit and talk more about your path. So you were, um, you, you got into the uh, Vita, Vedas, meta, mm-hmm. yoga, Esoteric meditation with the Rudolf Steiner system, transcendental meditation. Yeah, you studied TM, at the Maharishi. The, with the first meditation that I yeah. had done consistently. And then you, you studied at the Maharishi School? Yeah, the Mah- uh, Maharishi University of Management. What was your degree there? Uh, Vedic Science, Bachelor of Arts. Wow. And what are you putting together? What's the Wendell Jones that you're constructing? I think that's an interesting... It's like, you know, you're not a public figure or a celebrity. Like, normally, interviewers are about somebody having like a cultural artifact or something. But what, the reason I wanted to talk to you so much is as soon as I met you this last time, I was like, wow, I could just feel how developed and, and evolved your being was. Mm. And I felt that that was like a special, like a precious thing mm. that uh, more people needed to uh, come into contact with, you know? Well, what I've been doing... Uh, at first, I was training yoga teachers, right? I was in Hawaii, and I was in Costa Rica, and I was training yoga teachers in a very kind of traditional way because the yoga market, I have issues with it. But I was training, I was training yoga teachers. And then I got to a point where I was like, mm, I, need, I need to just deal with people on a more... Because all this stuff would come up in yoga training, like some scars, all this mm-hmm. personal stuff would come up. And I would see it, and I would be like, oh, that needs to be addressed like personally. And then it just kept happening. So eventually, I started addressing people on a more personal basis. And then those relationships turned into me coaching people. And then I started bringing all of these different uh, modalities that I've learned over time into the coaching process. So then I started really identifying what I was doing is that I was taking people through uh, their transition, through their process. I was giving people the tools and I was supporting them and uh, giving them very kind of a method in order to get through the process. And it's 
it's generally there are general rules and like principles that apply, but ultimately it does come down to like an individual thing because I have a set of tools, but who's going what is going to be appropriate for one person? So, that, so, so you're seeing yourself kind of as a healer, as a spiritual guide for people, and developing a set of tools that can help people in their evolutionary process. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you see? Because we were talking a little bit about 2012, and hmm. many people feel that nothing happened. And you know, I wrote a book about it, so yeah. I feel like I've gotten the shrapnel from all those people who are like, ah, you know, we didn't ascend, we didn't, you know, we didn't DMT didn't start spontaneously producing, you know. Right. But what what do you think? Something you 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 were expressing. Well, personally, to me I think. Well, I think it's totally obvious. <clears throat> it's totally obvious if you're not totally distracted that there's been like a transition mm-hmm. uh, since 2012, and it keeps astrologically. I was explained it as the Pluto Uranus square, but even if you don't take that in consideration, I mean, th- there's definitely been an acceleration in e- the extremes in our culture. And what's the transition? <clears throat> Well, the transition, I think, is an awakening that occurs on different levels. It happens collectively, but depending on where a person is in his own ability to self-reflect depends on how uh, people respond to the shift. So you have one thing that occurs that we have an African-American president, right? But then the flip of that was is that we had we have all these racial, we've had all these racial killings, right? So we see, I see. Well, but also that's been going on for so long. And now with the greater awareness. And I think the greater it's a greater awareness of it, though, it, yeah. because, of the, because of how the media is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. there's the... And the alternative or the independent networks right. of, of media and so, so on. People become more conscious of things much faster. Yeah. Right? And so I think that's part of it. But just the way when I work with people, I can, the way they're able to go from like, oh, my God, this is too much. It's overwhelming. My life is over to, like, oh, my God, I have direction and clarity, and this is what I'm doing. Like, I've seen this happen, like, over and over again. So I think there's more potential available. And you know how potential is. It's only relevant if you're, like, tapping into it or using it. Yeah, according to Hegel... He said this somewhere. I never found the actual quote, but I love the idea. There's no such thing as unrealized potential. Mm. Uh, I think that's a very liberating concept. Because mm. we always think about people, oh, they could have been a great artist. There's so much potential. But but actually, if you just realize that whatever was realized was that potential. Uh. You know, and, and I feel yeah, that's how I feel with you know humanity right now, too. It's like either we realize the potential and it's legitimate, or there's no such thing as that unrealized potential. We talk a lot on this podcast about the ecological situation mm. and man's relationship or humanity's relationship mm-hmm. to nature. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts about that? Or well, when I was in Maharshi, there were the, uh, there was a lot of communication between the guys who were in there doing sustainable living because there was like this big. So I ha- I received I had a lot of that information osmosis about permaculture and biodynamics, and more recently I've been going to a biodynamic farm up in Vermont and painting trees with homeopathic remedies and like all this stuff. So what I re- recognized in my meditation was that we're rooted in the earth and we're ascending to what you would say celestial, right? And then our heart is in the middle, Mm. right? And so I think the goal as as a a human being is to be able to integrate and balance in between 
like a celestial type of um, consciousness and a very physical, mineral-based body. And I think that all occurs in the heart. Mm. It's like very clear when I meditate that it's all occurring in the heart. And then when you look at like Chinese medicine and they talk about the heart, the shin being the the general. And then you look at, um, if you look at Egyptian or Kemetic thought, they talk about the heart being the, and, you, and even in yoga, you look at all these things, there's all this emphasis all the time on the heart. And I Except think. Except in the corporate world. Right. Where <laughs> the heart attacks happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. No coincidence uh, right. there. Probably. No, I don't think so. Well, I also really loved what we were talking before about the 2012 uh, transition that we're in. Well, you know, 2012 just being kind of a term maybe we're using for. Yeah, it's like a pivot. Yeah. Mm. Could be 50 years. Right. Could be, it's like years. a pivot. Could be a thousand years. Uh, and you talked about the raising of the, the, the awareness around the divine feminine. Yes. Mm. So, and, and you had some interesting Thanks. thoughts around that in terms of where you're seeing reflected that, that reflected in the culture. Right oh, mm. Well, I think it was so obvious with Bruce Jenner. To me, Bruce Jenner, the Bruce Jenner transition was like, whoa, what are we going to do with this feminine energy? It was like, you've seen a guy transition <laughs> from like the Wheaties guy to like, a female on the cover of Vanity Fair. And to me, that's very symbolic of the emergence of this uh, feminine energy that has kind of uh, reawakened, and, you know, we don't know what to do with it. What do you mean exactly? Explain a little bit more. What is the feminine energy that's so powerful that we don't know what to do with? Well, uh, you could say Kudalini energy. Mm -hmm. You could say, yeah, you could say Kudalini energy. I don't like to... Sometimes I Shakti energy. Yeah. Sometimes I refrain from using the word Kudalini because there's so much hysteria in the New Age community about Kudalini. But when I was studying with the Brahmin and the way he dealt with it was so kind of like precious. It was very kind of like the way you, the way he dealt with it was a lot different. So I'm kind of reluctant to say that word. But yeah, that's what mm-hmm. what I think. It's an emergence of that of that primal feminine energy. Was it gone or has it been suppressed? Well, it's like a, it's like a polarity. Mm-hmm. You know, you have in, in a cycle mm-hmm. and in different cycles. Like, is the winter gone right now? <laughs> no, it, there's still obviously cool air, mm-hmm. right? But it's not in this phase of the cycle of our season. It's repressed. So what should we be doing with this rising up of this feminine energy, this kundalini or the shakti? How do we manage it? How do we Well, one thing it? is coming to is understanding your physicality and understanding. It's interesting because I took a, a class in neurology and neuroscience, and it, it made me awe at how amazing the understanding of yoga is because the same centers in your brain that's responsible for retaining emotions are also responsible for body posture. Right. And memory, Mm. you know, and this thing. So the physicality, enlightenment of the body is very important Mm. because the feminine principle is the uh, physicality principle. It's the the tangible, the form, the yin. Right. The mother is the teacher of the body. Right. And so I think it's important. And I think when you look at now how much access we have to to, to, uh, this super nutrition and all of that. I think the culture produces what it needs in order to make the transition. So, you know, these superfoods and all of this um, 
understanding that we they're even talking about now that um, they found a probable correlation between chlorophyll and photosynthesis and quantum mechanics. Oh, really? Right. Oh, yeah. Cool. So you know, all of this is there. It's just that. Where do you look? How do you find it? Like, who's going to point you into the direction? Well, by the way, if people want to find you to have a consultation or healing or astrological session, where do they find you? Uh, my, interesting enough, my website is being so redeveloped. Facebook but, or yeah, email? Facebook or email. My email is iamyoga360 at gmail.com. Nice. Yeah. And um, yeah, where do you see um, where do you see this world heading in the next uh, decades? Do you think we're going to see like um, uh, we were talking about social that. collapse? We, we were or? talking about that. And mm. are the yogis going to come together and, and, and create like see, a that's new the, field of that's consciousness? The, that's the thing. <laughs> the, the yogis that I know are all saying that okay, guru season is over, right? It's it's mm. kind of like guru season is over. It's kind of like we came. We gave you all of the information. It's all there. But why are you only doing asanas? Like, why are you... Uh, America is, like, obsessed with asanas right now, mm -hmm. as far as yoga goes. And it's, like, one-eighth of what yoga actually is. But it's it's all here now. You know, we have you know, the people who came and they left us. We have the uh, potential. Yeah, we have all of that. And how do we realize it? Yeah, how do we realize it? I think trust has to happen. Um, Between who and who? We have to be able to communicate and have a value system that's not so much predicated off um, class or uh, status. Because so much of what how we deal with each other, it's like we don't even trust to be able to have a conversation with each other and feel like there's a value in it. Right? Our value system is so crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, how do we derive value as humans anymore? Mm -hmm. When you listen to somebody talk, can you how do you determine whether it's genuine or what's the value of what they're saying? Do they have to be on CNN? Do they have to be like associated with Puff Daddy or like, I don't know, like what, how do people determine like what's valuable and what's not? Like on my Facebook page, I'm always posting like this, either science, I'm really into science. So I'm always posting some type of new science, right? Or some type of uh, philosophical. And I, because that's just who I am. I don't even know anything else. That's all I can do at this point. It's just <laughs> I'm too far invested in it. I did want to talk to you about your um, receiving your that mantra from a tree. Oh, uh, maybe you can tell us quickly about that crazy okay. story and what that what that's all about. So a lady invited me. Yeah, I was doing an astrology client, so she sent for me because she wanted me to help her find a location in Sedona to do these, like, retreats. Sedona, Arizona is often considered a very mystical place. Have you been there? I have been there, Was yeah. it great? Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, he was telling me it was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Did you feel the vibes, the uh, the mystical I vibe? Did. Yeah. I did. You have to kind of, like, get out of Sedona. Yeah. You have proper. to get out of the terrace. You got to, yeah. You have yeah. to go into, like, the forest yeah, and, like, exactly. on the outskirts. Yep. So there was a raw food um, convention there and so I met this lady Shiva and she was like a, a reader and I was interested in what she was saying the next day when I came back she told me that her guides told her to take me to the forest I was like lady I'm not going to the forest with you right? <laughs> so my friend convinced me to do it so anyway I ended up in the forest and at one point I had this 
sensation, my breath stopped. And I thought it was because of the altitude. And I was like, like, what's wrong with my breath, right? And I looked over and it was this tree. I have a picture of it, this big red tree. And when I looked at it, I just instantly knew that what, like, these trees were, like, alive and purposeful and not just, like, standing there. And um, this energy kind of came in on me, and I fell down, and I went into, like, this historical crying. Anyway, it took me about 20 minutes to get to the tree that was probably about five feet away. And when I got to the tree, my breath took on, like, this rhythm of its own. And these sound like... Like, energy would come in, sound would come out. Energy would come in, sound would come out. And after about 10 minutes of that, it started to become audible. Like, the sound started coming out in, like, a rhythm. And after a while, I was just, like, in this incantation of these, of these sounds. And at the time, I had no idea. I didn't figure it out. It took years and years later when I was studying the Vedas and mantras and Swamiji explained to me what it was. Then I figured it out. But the... the the head on the nail was after I had started practicing this meditation myself and I was having my own experiences of transitioning and coming into real clarity about my motives and, you know, who I was as opposed to who I thought I was. And um, so I, I went to the Steiner Center and I was looking through one of Steiner books and the mantra was in there. So it was like a full circle. And you said that the wow. mantra has had certain effects. Um, oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You like, said something about the elemental beings. What, what are the elemental uh, Well, in the Vedas, they call, they say the dev devatas. In the esoteric, they call it the hierarchy. In the Steiner speaks, Jung would say archetypes, right? So you have, like, these subconscious, for lack of better words, um, intelligence, but what happens is that as your intelligence starts to expand, your ability to kind of review your subconscious becomes more of a, a dialogue, so to speak. Right? And, it's, and, and after a while, this dialogue starts to become a very, like an intelligent um, uh, communication that's going on between you and like another part of yourself that previous to that you hadn't been exposed to. So then you start to see things and well, for me what happens is I start to see life symbolically like mm -hmm. different things I just like look around and it's just like this symbolic representation happens and then something like I run into Daniel Pinchback in Union Square mm -hmm. happens and it's but earlier that day I had been thinking oh it's time for me I need it's one person that I'm supposed to meet that was the thought for that day. Mm -hmm. It's one person. It's not like running around. It's just one person. Mm -hmm. And then I met you. You know, so these, my brain works like that on a regular basis, but it takes a lot of unprogramming to trust and to be like, oh, it's okay. Totally. Two. 
Listen, Wendell, thank you, thank you so much. Um, oh, Do gosh. we have to stop talking? <laughs> well, I don't know how long we have. Or oh whatever. my god! What, right, what a question about the. Uh, you talked about you did a uh, thesis on Jung and the Shadow. Oh and yeah, tell me yeah. About that. No, I, did that 20, I did a twenty-five page thesis on um, transcending the shadow. That's wow. what I called it, and I won like money for it, and I got an honors award at, hmm. at MUM. I can send it to. So you. it was like using yeah. yoga to transcend the shadow. Yeah. What, what was the connection yeah. of the Jungian ideas? Well, and the because yoga Jungian ideas? idea was that the shadow is basically the part of ourselves that we project onto our environment because we haven't built like the integrity in our personality to deal with it. For example politicians. A lot of people project power onto politicians. Oh, I hate politicians. But then if you take a closer look at those persons' lives, there might be somewhere in their life where they feel not empowered. They don't feel empowered and they don't know how to use power. So then power, somebody else using power triggers them mm -hmm. to be like aversion towards that, right? But really what they really need to do is learn how to incorporate using power into their lives. So what I found in the meditation is these type of things happen where people start to realize where they've been projecting at, you know, where they've been like not wanting to be responsible for their own power. Like, oh, but I take care of people and I, uh, you know, you have the you have the classic person who who's too nice all the time. Like, I'm I'm nice, so I should be good. Like, my life right. should be happy because I'm nice. Right. But then under that, you realize that they're nice. It's, it's the passive aggressive tool to manipulate right. people. Right, 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 totally. Um, what advice would you give? Because I feel just in my own community, there are a lot of people waking up. Mm -hmm. and well, they need to learn. Oh, let her finish the oh, question. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it feels like there's a mistaken idea, and I've had this idea myself, that the process is linear, that it's pretty clear that once you're awake, you're awake, and that you shouldn't have troubles anymore, that you'll mm -hmm. see the shadows clearly, you know, that, that the light just keeps coming. And I've found my personal journey and friends' journeys that there can be moments of real, um, I mean, it can really feel, what? despondent was the word you used before. Despondent, right. Help, what, what advice would you give for staying on the path? Well, the integration process is, metab is metabolic. Okay, so please. Right, so metabolically, you need to be prepared for that transition. So that's like, if you look at metabolism, that's trace minerals, that's chlorophyll, that's whatever specific diet your constitution needs, that's um, the right alignment and structure of your body, that's breathing, that's, it's a, it's really an individual thing, I'm just, because when I deal with people, it's like, individually, what do they need, depending on their constitution, but those are some basic things. A lot of people have, like, serious metabolic processes that they don't understand that's happening. But they feel, it feels psychological, too. It feels well, like... Well, it's one thing. It's okay. the metabolic. There's no, there's not much differentiation. This is Steiner was big on this. So that your metabolic process, the process of burning things, right, and transforming them into something else, is very analogous to your... It's, it's the opposite polarity of what your nervous system does in terms of information. So if your, meta, if your metabolism isn't functioning, like let's say your metabolism is excess. 
then you're liable to have a deficiency in your nervous system. Or if your nervous system is excess, you're liable to have a deficiency metabolically. And then in between that is your uh, circulatory and rhythmic system. So that's why in yoga, breathing is so important because it balances it helps resolve metabolic waste. It balances that process and like the nervous system. Basically, yoga is advanced science for the nervous system. And Ayurveda is advanced science for the digestive system, right? And the combination of the two helps you to maintain your physicality and your mental in order to integrate like the, the prana or the chi. In the case, specifically for yoga, there are five sheets. In Chinese medicine, you have, there are five phases, Right. And so that that is where, like, the integration happens in those elements hmm. uh, to keep it. It's technical, but I like my training. Awesome. No, it's amazing that he has such a map for it. it and, sure um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully find some very interesting characters for you to uh, do your magic, <laughs> including me next. We're about to have our astrology reading. Well, Wendell, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, looking forward to more. And um, yeah. So oh, last question. Are you enlightened? Swamiji told me that I had acquired an enlightened knowledge. Nice. That's what he said. Good, I like Beautiful. that. Nice little, dis- little distinction there. It's a hedge. Which is appreciated. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much, and uh, look forward to more and more. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to EvoLeap. As always, we encourage you to reach out with any questions or comments by emailing us at hello at evoleappodcast.com. This episode was recorded at ProMedia Studios in Midtown Manhattan by Chad Dugatz and Alex Kennedy. Musical interludes were created by Jacob Schaefer. You can find more at jacobschaefer.com. Thanks to Kate Nicholson for web design, research, and support, and to Alex Kennedy, our producer and editor.